of Uncorked. I'm Steph, your co-host with Bro. Hi. Oh gosh, I just love it when I get this critter on the mic. It's not <laughs> all the time. When it does happen, it's juicy. So we have Matt Corker with us today because this is the first Tuesday of December and we're rocking the 12th month of 2019 before we roll into a new decade. And the topic on the cast today was on Ask Me Anything. We put it out on social and said, what do you want us to riff on? And we have three questions that we landed on. And bro, are you ready for them? Give it to me. He just loves not knowing what we're going to talk about. Do I? Or is that just the normal? (laughs) (laughs) So the first question, which we're going to dive right into it, always the case, we have 20 minutes, is, hey, Team Corker, how do you stay so darn positive? Hmm. Interesting question. I'm going to put it over to you. How do you feel about the word positive and do you actually believe you remain so dang positive i well to answer the last question first do i think i'm so dang positive uh no i don't think i'm super dang positive and i think the word positive and like positive thinking or being optimistic i think aren't things that i hold as leadership traits And the reason I say that is because our brains are programmed to think the worst case scenario automatically. We have a negativity bias. It's really easy for us as humans to go to the worst case scenario instantly. Doesn't take a lot of effort, doesn't take a lot of leadership. The leadership is more so how do I recover from experiences? How do I recover from the negativity bias? How do I override the system so that I can make a different choice in that moment or use what I know about the worst case scenario to my advantage to create a result. The positive psychology world has exploded in bookstores over the last decade plus, and it's still there. So we know that we are learning more about positive psychology, and in some cases it works incredibly well, and in other cases it doesn't work. Like manifest your desires. Okay, I want a million dollars, I want a million dollars, and I don't get a million dollars today. And so there's a lot of work that needs to happen between manifestation and actually attainment. And I'm really addicted to attainment. I want to see results. I want proof in the pudding. I want actual stuff to say I did it or I didn't do it. And that means I have to get up off of my meditation cushion and actually go do something. So (laughs) if anybody is on an Enneagram, there are certain numbers on the Enneagram that feel really relatable and powerful. And if you're wondering, Matt is an eight and he (laughs) is speaking all of these things right off of his meditation cushion to an eight. So go read about an Enneagram eight and you will have heard Matt Corker. I feel seen. (laughs) And so what I do believe, though, is that I relate more strongly to the world of possibility. And so it's not that the worst case scenario is the worst case scenario. I'm not denying that. But I also believe that there's the possibility for the worst case scenario to be different. And that possibility can often be, 
another worst case scenario. And I can also choose to consider what if it was better than that. And the practice of seeing people, situations, different activities or circumstances through a lens of possibility, I would say I resonate more with because it gives me not only the ability to see something differently, but it also gives me the responsibility. Like it's my job to see the possibility of it. And that to me isn't like gumdrops and roses and paint it over and ignore the fact that we're, we live in oppressive systems day to day. Like, nope. And the possibility is we can change it. We can do something about it. We can, we have the opportunity to act. Absolutely. And as I sit here and just shake my head, the possibilitarian in me feels very lit up, especially around you. And I'm mindful that possibility does feel like a I want to call it like a microbiome in your gut, but it is attracted to other possibility. And it's very easily squished by people who don't believe or see possibility the same way. And I really love that you mentioned the responsibility that comes with it because like positivity and even more so with possibility, it feels like a raging choice and a raging responsibility for yourself should you wish to create that. And what I'm mindful of is, likewise, I so don't relate to being a super positive person. I think things are tough. And while I like to see the bright side, I actually feel wildly misunderstood that I'm a little rainbow that's squirting. No, I'm a unicorn. You're a little rainbow. (laughs) I feel like a little unicorn with rainbows. And that's not the case. I mean, I feel like... I have had more Clydesdale horse moments where there's no rainbow to be seen in my unicorn self, and that's real, yet I actually relate to the Clydesdale horse way more than the unicorn, and I feel like possibility is a utility, and it is like a tool that we get to choose, and Mm -hmm. I think what makes that exciting is no one has to stop you from believing in possibility. No, no one. I mean, like, there is nothing positive about getting parking tickets and getting your car towed. But the possibility that I could not drive a car is incredible. I have a whole new way now. I don't drive my car. I don't get parking tickets. And it's a beautiful thing. Or the responsibility that comes with not liking something, to your point, and then feeling not obligation, but an opportunity to make it better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. I want to riff on one other little tangent that my sweet friend Urse was messaging me about how much she loves endurance. And she said, it's just so neat when she was surfing and she surfs for hours and, you know, she's used to one to two hour surf sessions. And now she's surfing for, you know, four to six hours and how cool and crazy and she's amazing. And I said, isn't endurance beautiful because it is like a self-development exercise. And when it gets hard, then what? And when you get tired, then what? And the kicker is when it's euphoric, then what? And the euphoria, I think, is actually where possibility comes from for me. And so we take off the positivity train and we riff on possibility and that feels much more like us. Yeah, and I feel like if you see the work that we do and you're like, wow, they're so positive. It's like, wow, what future are they actually creating? What is the thing that you think we're standing for? Because then it's like, that's where the magic lies. And we're so happy to be able to share 
why we believe healthy leaders lead healthy businesses and why that we believe that and is the future and that intersectional leadership is really what is going to shift the, the world. Those are things that we hope that you get a taste of through not only these conversations, but also the work that we put out into the world. And it's, it's more than just being positive. Absolutely. Love it. All right. The second question, and this is a juicy one, mm. is how do you keep motivation high to finish what you've started when you've lost the inspiration? Yeah. So the project is off the start line. You're tired of it. You're bored of it. It's hard. Then what? Does that ever happen to you, bro? Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad he said that because Matt Corker is definitely the man that knows how to A, rock a finish line, and B, he does it and it makes it seem really easy. And those kinds of people, when you work with them, can feel really annoying because you're like, is it ever hard for you? Are you ever doing something you don't want to do? And Matt Corker has done such a great job at curating and crafting a life in such a way that you think is only full of things he loves to do. However, he jumped on the no really quickly there. So tell us. Well, first off, why is it bad to craft a life doing things that you love to do? It's not. But we vilified it in totally. the world because then it becomes annoying. Then it becomes like, oh, isn't your life so gumdrops and roses? And what I would offer is that we struggle and slog through so much of our lives, so much of our working experiences, doing things that we hate doing. And we think that we have to be like a sucker for punishment or like suffer now and reap the rewards later. And I'm like, well, that methodology and mindset has made our workforce obese, has increased the divorce rate, has isolated people to feel higher rates of depression and suicide and all of these things. So like, I don't know. Let's try a different technique. Yes. And so I'm really addicted to Marcus Buckingham's research around strengths and how we can play to our strengths and offer up our strengths. Strengths being the things that we're good at and we find fulfillment in. It doesn't mean that they're easy. It means that we still need to provide energy. It still takes us effort to do them. But once we're done, we feel the sense of fulfillment, a sense of completion, rather than a sense of like, oh, dear God, thank you. I never have to do that ever again. The other side of the coin are our weaknesses, the things that we have no appetite for, the things that we look at our to-do list and are like, do I have to do this? And I really believe that it's my responsibility to manage my weaknesses and offer up more of my strengths. And the reason I said no in the sense of like, do I always feel that? Like, yes, I still have to do things that are in my weaknesses, if you will, the things that I don't have a large appetite for. And my commitment to myself, but also to my team and those around me is that I manage them well. And just yesterday, I actually wasn't managing my weaknesses well. And so I just felt like my to-do list was overwhelming and I didn't want to do any of it. And I was like, okay, I need to actually like switch this. And how do I use some of my strengths to manage a weakness? So for example, I, one of my strengths is drawing on a whiteboard, whatever it is. If I'm having like trying to figure out a team agenda crafting out how to communicate something to a team. Like I love a whiteboard and I love to draw. And so one of the things that I was stuck on was how to write out this proposal 
and writing out proposals are one of my weaknesses. Like I hate it so much. And so I was like, wait, let me go to the whiteboard. Let me draft it out. Let me see this visually. And that'll give me the jumpstart I need to. So that would be an example of like, how do you use a strength to manage a weakness? It's a great example. And I appreciate your candor in being honest about these things. Because again, it's easy from the outset to think that it's never hard for Matt Corker. And sometimes it is, yet the kicker is it's not about whether it is or isn't hard. It's about what are the tools that you use to make it easy. Totally. And, and I love that you often ask, what if this was easy? What if this was easy? I, on the other hand, am very good at starting and getting freaking freaked out and think, how the heck am I going to finish this? And there are a million steps between the start and the finish that I don't know how to do. And whether that's creating something new, whether it's, you know, the start of something to the finish line can sometimes feel like a marathon to me. And earlier in my career, I would have said that I just slogged and I didn't love it. And I procrastinated. I would stare at my computer. I wasn't efficient. And I think over the last few years specifically, and with, especially with Matt really, you know, by osmosis and conversation talking about Marcus's work, it's how do I ask for help? How am I intentional about what's needed? How do I set deadlines? How am I accountable? How do I stay within integrity of what I say I will do? And how do I clean up the mess that I've made so that I can reach a finish line? And one of the big lessons for me has been not doing it alone. And usually, like a freaking marathon, you get to a point that you need some help. And that might mean a gel, it might mean a human, it might mean a cheer. And whenever that point comes on the marathon of said project, I feel much more empowered to ask for help now. And help can come in many different forms and it helps get me to the finish line. And I love that because there's an element of, I love when people call me and they're like, I need your help. I'm like, done. How can I, like, how can I help you? This person that I love. And then every time that I don't ask for help from the people that I like, love and care for me, I'm actually denying them that feeling mm-hmm. of like actually contributing to my life, being a, like a member of the inner circle. Like they, I take that opportunity away from them every time I don't ask for help. Gosh, that is a truth bomb right there. I challenge you for the month of December to ask three people for help. Ask three people for help. To your point, it feels so good to be asked for help. And asking for help, gosh, you feel so free. They want to help. People want to help. And it can come in so many different shapes and sizes. It can be a phone chat. It can be, bro, I need you on the whiteboard. (laughs) All of the things. Yeah, and especially ask for help when you're faced with a weakness and you know someone's strength is that weakness. Yes. I don't, you know, like, call me anytime you need something drawn on a whiteboard. Anytime. (laughs) He'll even bring the markers. (laughs) Oh, I love it. That's really great. So don't let 2019 leave you feeling stuck or incomplete. Totally. Ask for help and the finish line is worth it. Finish line. Which is a great segue into the third question, which is what is left on 2019 on the checklist, the goal list, the to-do list that feels 
exciting, scary, you're swiping off the list. What is left in 2019 for you, bro? We, uh, Chad and I, my husband, I don't think he ever listens to these podcasts. So I always feel like I have to like reintroduce him to people. Anyway. Um, no, he, everyone that listens knows who Chad is. Oh yeah, Just fair. Chad doesn't Just, know he's being featured on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, great. <laughs> Chad and I set a goal last December to have our surrogate pregnant. And last month we got documents signed by our lawyers and started all of the medical procedures. And so, you know, by the time this goes out, we may actually have some like secret news that we're not sharing with anyone, or we may be in the throes of tr- how that goal gets completed and only time will tell. So that's the one finish line that we're like, come on, baby Mama. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so special. <clears throat> I had two physical goals, which were a big deal for me after a sub fabulous mid part of the year physically and I had two goals one was to run a marathon in a PB time and the other was to be able to do five pull-ups and I wrote both of those off really hard in October I was like I'm done it's not happening they're failed it's great to fail at goals means you're setting good goals and it left me feeling super empty and totally unfulfilled and I felt like a quitter and a failure and one of my good friends, Liam Todd, Liam and his brother, I just love, live by the motto of try harder, nobody cares. And when I realized that, I realized that I was giving up on these goals and the only person that actually cared was me. And I cared so much. And I was like, why am I giving up? I might be injured and it might not be a best time. That's the goal. But what I've come to realize more than ever is that enthusiasm for certain things, proverbial or literal start lines, does not come all the time. So when there is enthusiasm, you must go. If you want to create something, you must create it because you won't wake up every morning wanting to create something. And I wanted to create a memory of a marathon and I would love it to be a best time. And you only know if it can be a best time if you go and run the freaking marathon. You can be perfectly prepared. That does not mean you're set up for a best time. You have to go and run the freaking marathon. So if I want to get better at being a runner, the way to do so is to toe the line. Good, bad, ugly, you toe the line. And I thought, um, you know, I have time left in the year before I wipe this completely off. And I felt that I could not give up on a body that you know, has been through a lot. I certainly wasn't going to give up on it in 2019. So I don't know what the end result is. um, And we will see in a week's time. But there are two things that I'm going for. And the clock is not striking 2019 without me seeing striking 2020. Sorry, striking 2020. Thank you. Uh, It's not striking the end of 2019 without giving it a college shot. And I mean, the lessons of this are enormous. So I'm excited for the lessons along the way. Bro, we get to wrap. Right there. What's making your heart beat faster? Oh my gosh. This week, I get to do, uh, after 12 weeks of doing a progressive hip-hop class, my little crew is going to perform at Fortune Zen Club on December 8th. And I am so stoked to be able to take the stage with two of my really good buddies and a lot of our new friends and just make a fool of myself because being a learner is awesome and it's always good to take the stage and do something that I've never done before. 
I love that Matt Corker thinks he's making a fool of himself because they are incredible. If you've ever seen them dance, it's very, very exciting. What's making my heart beat faster is that I'm off to run the marathon this weekend, flying home in time to hit Fortune Sound Club on <laughs> Sunday night. <laughs>